God has uh, a lot of uh, nicknames uh, in the Bible. Um, I mean, if you, uh, you know, throughout Scripture, you'll see uh, God is called um, uh, our shield, our protector, our rock, you know, uh, our provider is, uh, is another one, Jehovah Jireh. I think we talked about that before. It means um, the Lord is my provider. And uh, uh, one of the things that we're going to take a look at today is the difference between God's provision and God's abundance. Um, and what we've seen so far in the Old Testament uh, is, I, I think, really, um, that God gives us what we need. He does not always give us what we want. And I, I, it seems to me that that's one of the significant differences between provision and abundance in life. And today is another story that illustrates uh, this, this way in which God works with us. And hopefully we will learn something uh, going through this today of God's provision and God's abundance. We're looking at 1 Kings 17, starting at verse 1, is what we're, where we're at. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, uh, just we'll stop there, and per normal, we need to back up uh, to see what led to this point uh, in, the, in Scripture and in the, the story of God that we've been reading. Uh, so th last year, we read about, or last year, last week, uh, we read about uh, King David. And uh, we are now about 100 years after King David. Uh, by 1 Kings 17. And at this point, the people of Israel have split into two kingdoms. There is the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And in each kingdom, the kings of these areas are by and large immense failures in the eyes of God. Every once in a while a good king comes along, but for the most part, they're royal screw-ups. I guess pun intended. <laughs> um, our story today is in the northern kingdom. And <clears throat> on the throne of the northern kingdom is one of the worst of all of, all of the kings, Ahab. Uh, Archaeology indicates that he was actually one of the wealthiest and most successful of the kings of Israel. Uh, Israel was, in many, many ways, uh, tremendously abundant under the rule of Ahab. But he was a corrupt and ruthless ruler that showed a contempt for God. Among other things, he married a woman from Sidon named Jezebel. 
And Jezebel was so awful that her name became eventually a synonym for a repugnant and immoral woman. And one of the things that, that Ahab and Jezebel did was uh, that they mixed the religions that she practiced with the worship of the Lord God. So that the people were worshiping other gods alongside of the Lord, and they were also practicing uh, things from these other religions and so forth. And this was all taking place in the kingdom of Israel. And so for those sins, uh, the sins of Ahab and the sins of the people, the Lord committed to showing Ahab and the kingdom of Israel that for all of their abundance, they would learn that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So God tells Elijah, and this is the point at which we're at in the story now, God tells Elijah to announce to Ahab that there would be a drought until God said otherwise. Now in the midst of this drought, one of the questions I think would be, how is God going to take care of his prophet? So God sends his prophet to announce this news, but then what happens to Elijah? Well, that's where our story takes us. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the Wadi. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. But after a while, the Wadi dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now Elijah is told by God, to travel 30 miles to this wadi. Now that is not an unsubstantial difference uh, or unsubstantial distance. Uh, I mean, this is you know, uh, there, there's there's you know, uh, no subways. You know, there's no no cars. I mean, this is you know uh, a distance that he either either walked or rode, you know, some kind of animal to that to that place. But 30 miles is a fairly substantial distance in this time. And he's told to go there by God. <clears throat> Why? He's told to go there, among other things, to hide. Because his life is now in jeopardy. He delivered this message to Ahab, and with delivering the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord actually taking effect, and this drought happening, Ahab would want to kill Elijah. Right? Kill the messenger. So he's told to go and hide. And he's also sent there because there is water there. Now a wadi, if you don't know what a wadi is, a wadi is a, a ravine uh, that is often dry. It's a dry ravine that can turn into uh, a roaring river. Uh, 
quickly if there is rain. There is actually, if you uh, wanted to, to, uh, to see this happen, there are some pretty amazing videos of wadis uh, on the internet that you can look up and you'll, you'll see uh, you know, a stretch of ground that will be completely dry, uh, but then what will happen is, and the rain can take place in a far off distance, distant area, uh, but when that rain takes place, uh, the water flows and quickly this dry ravine can become uh, you know, a, a full-blown river. It's really uh, is something to see. But that's what a wadi is. And so but he sent to this wadi because there is water here. Um, and Elijah is told to hide there and to drink from the wadi. Now God also tells him that he's going to send ravens to feed him. And I, this shows, God sending ravens, shows that God will sometimes provide in very unexpected ways. You see, ravens were considered unclean by the Jews. They're carrion birds that eat the flesh of dead and decaying animals. And for that reason, ravens were unclean. And yet God chooses these birds of all the birds God could have chosen to provide to Elijah God's prophet. God provides in some very unexpected ways. We're going to see that again. So God provides to Elijah, but it's not abundance that God provides. It's drinking water from a muddy river and food delivered by dirty birds. That's what God provides. But it is enough. That is until it runs out. Hmm? Because what happens? The wadi dries up. And once again, God speaks to Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare for myself and my son so that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first... Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jar, jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as her, he and her household ate for many days. 
The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he, that he spoke by Elijah. So God, once again, the wadi dries up, and God says, all right, I'm going to provide to you again. Here's what I want you to do. And once again, there's irony in how God does the, how God gives this provision. Elijah is told to go to a widow in Sudan. Now, this time he has to try, travel about 50 miles to get there. And he's told to go to Sudan. Does that ring a bell? Uh, I mentioned Sudan earlier. It was the place Jezebel was from. And so he's told to go to the very place where the person whom God was punishing with this, with this drought came from. He's told to go to the pagan city of Sudan to be saved. And it is there that he's told he will find help in the person of a widow. Now, widows were among the most destitute of all people in the ancient, ancient Middle East. Because of the culture, they had no way to provide for themselves. And this widow is literally scrounging for sticks to make her last meal of her last little bit of meal and oil. Because she and her household, she and her son are also affected by this drought. And she is expecting that they're going to die. And here comes this foreigner who asks her to give him her last little bit of food. Elijah tells her that the Lord will not let her food run out until it rains. Now, she doesn't even believe in the Lord. <laughs> you know, but, but here's Elijah saying, don't be afraid. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, and we know she doesn't believe in the Lord because what she says to what she says to Elijah is this: "As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing." But amazingly, she takes him in, and what we what we hear about this time that, that she takes him in is, is that they don't have an abundance, but they have enough. It says the jar of meal did not empty and the oil did not fail. The jar was never full. It wasn't abundance. The oil wasn't overflowing, but it never failed. The Lord provided and sustained their life. She and her son did not die until it rained. And that's where we pick up our story. 
after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? But he said to her, Give me your son. He took him from her bosom, carried him up into the upper chamber where he was lodging, and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. And so the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So God once again, provides. But even here, God's provision is not ultimate, is it? I mean, at some point, this child dies. We don't know when. It could have been a year, it could have been a hundred years. And so what we see is that in each of these cases, God's provision was never abundant and always temporary. But that does not rob it of its power and its goodness. In fact, I think it teaches us something of the nature of provision and abundance. In the Bible, and I would say therefore in life, we don't see God give the things of this world in abundance. When it comes to the things of this world, God provides. He does not lavish. Why? Here's what I would say I've learned from God through Scripture. God's provision creates and grows faith. And faith is the greater gift than abundance. When God gives manna to the people of Israel, they are given enough for the day. Each day. And they learned to have faith that God would once again provide the next morning. Elijah is told to travel great distances and expect provision in some very unexpected ways. 
ravens, unclean animals, a widow from Saddam. It took faith to set out on those journeys. But Elijah's faith in God's provision was so rooted by these experiences that when the time came, he could even ask and expect God to return life to a dead child. Abundance in this life, unfortunately, often only serves to create a false confidence in ourself, a faith in ourselves. And sometimes, like Ahab, that, 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 that faith in ourselves serves only to show us that the Lord gives and the Lord can take away. Now, I'm talking about God's provision and how his provision comes in unexpected ways and how, uh, it, it, as we see in these stories, God's provision often does not come with abundance. I think there's a reason for that, as I just shared. But the Bible does speak of God's abundance. It speaks about God's abundance often in verses like these. Like in Psalm 51, when it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Or in John 10.10, when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or in Romans 5, when Paul says, If because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. As, Christ, as, as Jesus himself once said, he said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And what God demonstrates through Scripture is that His abundance is in the things that truly matter in our lives. Where we see God's abundance is in love, mercy, life, grace. These things God is abundant with. And God's abundance overcomes our greatest poverties. Hate, unforgiveness, death, mercilessness, sin. That's what God's abundance overcomes. 
with the death of Christ on the cross, we see God in his, all his abundance and in his ultimate abundance, pouring out grace on humanity that has a poverty of life because of our sin. May you find faith in everything that God provides and experience his abundance in the places of your life that truly matter.